Hello and welcome to On The Grid podcast episode 7. Today we are after uh, the French Grand Prix, which funnily enough, um, I said it would be quite boring, um, but it wasn't. Um, I'm your host Adrian Keita once more and I am joined today by my co-host Harvey Todd. I was about to say Cameron, but he's not here unfortunately, he's not with us. Um, So it's just me and Harvey going through uh, the French Grand Prix, and then we'll preview this weekend's uh, Styrian Grand Prix. If I'm not mistaken, it's Styria first instead of Austria, um, which I mean, it's a double header in Austria. What, what, what are you missing? Are we, are we, it's going to be high quality drama uh, around the Red Bull ring. Um, but we'll start off with qualifying. Uh, we'll start off with Q1. Um, literally. As soon as soon as the session starts, we, we're literally we're, they're going out for their for their preparation laps, and we see a young Yuki Sonoda once more in the barrier. I mean, Harvey, I know I know Yuki was pushing it quite a bit, and being a rookie, he's still getting he's still getting to grips with with the car. But do you think maybe this this time it was a bit? of a step too far because he put it in the barrier and ultimately he had to start from the pit lane uh, in the race. It's it's a difficult one because obviously he's a rookie. He is going to make the mistakes. Um, I felt he was unlucky because, I mean, we saw Verstappen do the same thing in the race, but he, he luckily got around the barrier, um, like the, the bollard, sorry. Um, so he, he was catching everyone out throughout the weekend. So I don't think it was primarily a, Yuki Sonoda problem. I think there's a I think there's a crest of the hill as you go over turn one, and I think the car went a little bit too light, and I think it just spun him round and landed in a barrier. Yeah, unfortunately, saying that he he started from P20, but he actually had to start from uh, the pit lane because he had to have a few parts changed on his AlphaTauri car. But another another man that surprised another rookie, Mick Schumacher, first Q2 appearance. But what happens? He brings out the red flag and he crashes out. I mean, hard luck for Mick. Um, but it was it was a valiant effort in in Q one to actually put the Haas car into Q two. Yeah, I thought I thought he did well. I think he strung together a decent lap. Um, it was, I was gutted for him that he that he ended up having to retire from the session because I think I don't think he would have set the world alight, but I think he would have at least set a competitive enough time to maybe be knocking on the door of the top 10 I think maybe maybe that could have happened um but unfortunately we couldn't see that happen because Mick had to retire from the session but an unlucky man Nicholas Latifi I mean he's been he's been out qualified by George Russell so often in the past in the past two seasons and he misses out on a Q2 on another Q2 appearance this season by two thousandths of a second I mean what can he? What can he do? I know he was unfortunate that the red flags were brought out, but what can that man do to actually get into Q two? Because it doesn't look like it's it's going to be a regular occurrence like George um, this season. I don't want to bring out the cliches, but you asking me what he needs to do to get into Q two to go a little bit faster. Um, but no, being being serious, I think I think at Austria he just sort of needs to. Not take gambles, but sort of trust the car a little bit more. 
and sort of let him let the car take him around them long corners into sector two. Um, I think watching his onboards, I don't think he he looks confident. Um, so I think if he just puts a little bit more um, trust into his car, I think he should be all right. A little bit more on from Nicholas Latifi, but he finished Q1 uh, in 16th with Raikkonen in P17, Mazepin P18, Stroll, who did not set a competitive lap time because he got his lap time deleted in P19, and Yuki Tsunoda in P20. Uh, moving on to Q2, uh, we saw Pierre Gasly doing relatively well in Q2, uh, but ultimately... It was uh, it was Valtteri Bottas who topped Q two ahead of Hamilton and Perez. Um, we're looking at Esteban Ocon because he qualified P eleven, but you're thinking home Grand Prix maybe something could happen. Maybe something. Maybe he has a breakthrough. But it was Alonso instead. What do we think of Ocon's performance? Because I think he relatively did well in qualifying. He didn't do he didn't do an, a bad job. But if you're looking at Alonso and his Alpine car being in Q3, surely the other Alpine cars should be making Q, Q3, if that makes sense? Yeah. Ocon's a tricky one because he's normally quite good in qualifying. And it was a bit disappointing to see him um, not make Q3 because I think he would have had an all right chance at making potentially the top five because he's. I think he's one of the more underrated drivers on the grid and I don't think he gets the credit he deserves. Yeah, it's always, it's always a tricky one. Um, but saying that, P11 isn't a disaster to start from. You know, you get your fresh free-choice compound rather than your scrubbed uh, Q2 tyre. Yeah, I think I think that could be said. Um, uh, the same thing could be said for Seb Vettel because he qualified P12. He qualified right behind Ocon. Um, he wasn't setting the timing ch- charts alight with his lap times. Um, but I think um, qualifying outside of a top 10, I think, suits Seb a lot more this season, especially with his Aston Martin car. What do we think on that? Do we think it's do we think Seb Vettel is better qualifying outside the top 10 and then making his way forward? Or do we think that qualifying inside the top 10 might help him a bit more. What do we think? Qualifying inside the top 10 would give him the track, the track position. But what we've seen from that Aston Martin car in recent races is it's so good at tyre saving. It's it's scarily good at it. And I think Vettel, if he gets given perhaps a fresh set of soft, uh, no, not soft, mediums or hards, he can easily take that nearly to the halfway point in the race, depending on what track we're at, if it's high tide egg. But, you know, that can go to nearly the halfway point in the race. And I think that really will suit him. Well, we, we saw that kind of in the race because Aston Martin have done a very, very good job with their strategies. And I think their cause, especially, uh, I'd probably say from from Monaco, uh, when Lance Stroll was on the hard set of tyres and then in, in back here as well, I think they've done tremendously well to to get their cars inside the top ten. Um, but but the drivers that were knocked out of um, knocked out of Q two uh, were Ocon, Vettel, Giovinazzi, Russell, and Mick Schumacher, who did not post a lap time. But moving on to Q three, your man Max Verstappen was absolutely flying. He was set in fastest lap after fastest lap after fastest lap 
the Mercedes couldn't touch him. Uh, I mean, this track did really suit the Red Bull. Yeah, I mean, going into the weekend, I was like, oh, Mercedes usually run run well around Paul Ricard. I was like, oh, yeah, it'd probably be Mercedes that come away with it. But then for Max just happened to go and slap it on pole. And I think Perez fourth. Um, it, I felt the Red Bull ran very well. I think Verstappen got the very best out of the car, which is what he does most weeks. He just extracts all the goodness and just slaps it onto the timesheets or the results sheet. Well, he did. He did tremendously well, and I, I was I was happily surprised by by Sergio because he was his qualifying haven't performances haven't been as consistent as you want them to be for Red Bull. But putting it on putting it on P four is was tremendous. Um, moving on to the Mercedes uh, of Hamilton and Bottas, P two and P three, right behind Red Bull of Max Verstappen. I mean, if you're Max Verstappen, surely you're. Before the race, we're speaking before the race. Um, surely you're surely you're scared of, of what's to come because you've got two Mercedes waiting in the wings to to eat you up for breakfast essentially. Um, so what I, I think the strategy from from Mercedes there was was perfect, putting it into P two and P three. Harvey, I mean, as a Red Bull fan, seeing Max Verstappen on pole, glorious, but seeing two Mercedes right behind him. Sorry, surely that's a that's a bit of a that's a bit of a sticky situation, a bit of a horrific, shall we say, sight. Yeah, it it, it wasn't nice. Um, don't get me wrong. Even though Bottas hasn't been amazing this season, I still think he's got a battle in him. If he wants to get fiery, he's definitely got a battle in him, and I think he can take it to Verstappen if he if he strings all the corners together. Hamilton, well. Needless to say, more, you know, he's got a fiery belly when he wants. So having them pairing a Mercedes behind Verstappen, them two working as a team against Verstappen him, himself, I think, yeah, it, it's it's not nice to see. It's not nice to see. Well, finishing off the top 10, we have Max Verstappen on pole position, of course, with Hamilton, Bottas and Perez. Uh, completing the top four, uh, signs in P5, Gasly, Leclerc, Norris, Alonso, and Daniel Ricciardo completing the top 10. Moving on to the race, and it was Max Verstappen on pole position, of course. Um, off the line tremendously, and then turn one, okay, turn two, yeah, it, it kind of happened. He, he, should we say he overcooked it ever so slightly? Um, but Harvey, what were your what were your thoughts initially on the opening uh, opening sequence? Shall we say because it was a bit of a it was a bit of a rookie error, shall we say, from Max. Um, but yeah, he was he was ultimately going to recover because that Red Bull car was just was just flying. I'm going to be totally honest with you when when I um, saw Verstappen wobble and then. Go have to go around the bollard. Yeah, it, it was quite scary. Um, a couple of expletives were said. Um, however, all was good because, as I'm sure we'll get on to a little bit later, he managed to recover it really, really well. Yeah, tremendously well. But a man that was that was on the charge, shall we say, 
Daniel Ricardo, vintage Ricardo, start, starting from P10, of course he did, but vintage Ricardo, late, late breaking, and he was able to get his move to get the move on Lando Norris. I mean, surely, surely confidence from those type of moves can be can be extracted for Daniel because he hasn't had the best of times uh, at McLaren so far. No, I was happy to see Ricardo, you know, going up the pack for once. Um, I mean, it's not nice seeing drivers struggle. I know we have a joke here and there, but ultimately only they know what's going on in their heads. And I think it's really nice to see him, you know, fighting his teammate who has been pretty much been, uh, I don't know what the word is, like just compared with all season long. Oh, Lando's doing this, but Ricardo's only doing this, you know, and it, it, yeah, it was really nice to see him actually taking a battle to the top five, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but another man that was that was on the charge alongside Ricardo was Norris. They kind of exchanged blows. They were kind of making up positions together as they went along. Um, Norris and Ricardo obviously getting up ahead of Alonso and ahead of uh, Leclerc in the opening exchanges. Um, but do you think maybe this McLaren teamwork can be a mainstay because they, they seem to work relatively well together, uh, especially when overtaking cars, especially when they're in their own slipstream of the, of the car ahead. Do you think maybe if, if McLaren are to qualify together and work together to overtake cars, maybe they could they could push up even higher and maybe get a podium um, soon? Yeah, I- I've always thought McLaren have been really good at teamwork. You know, just the the whole energy about the team, you know, it just seems really, really positive. And the same goes for Red Bull, really. You know, those two, if those two drive, if those two teams drivers, sorry, can work together in tandem, I think that, that each team will have a fantastic race. But on on McLaren, I thought I thought they were both excellent as a pair. They did very well. But a man that was that did not enjoy his French Grand Prix was Mr. Charlie Leclerc. Um, I mean as as a Leclerc fan, you're kind of thinking he qualified he qualified well. His qualifying wasn't bad, but it was just it was just the race. It was it was the hard tire, then the medium tire, I believe it was as well, but he fitted. It just it just didn't stick with him. Um Harvey Leclerc did say that it was probably one of the one of the hardest races that he had done uh, in F1 since since coming into the category two or three years ago. But do you think the Ferrari um, maybe didn't suit the circuit? Like I said in the previous episode, I, I didn't think that Paul Ricard would be a track suit for the, for, for the Ferrari and, and I mean that was the case that was evidently the case uh, last weekend Yeah it was it was a weird one because he's had pretty much every race he's finished he's either come 4th or 6th and then to just suddenly drop down to P16 you knew something wasn't right and I, I do think it was the car because I don't think Sainz had a good race either um, I think he struggled a little bit, he came 11th and I think you know, going on to Austria, 
I don't think hmm, part of me wants to say it's a similar circuit in terms of the straight line speed, but then there's also a couple of longer corners. Um, but yeah, also at, at France, a bad day at the office for Ferrari, but no doubt they can uh, recover it. I'm sure they'll be able to uh, around the Red Bull ring, uh, but after after last year, what happened last year, it might not even be the case. Uh, after after Vettel and Leclerc did clash, um, but that's a different story. This is this is the new season, so we'll we'll see what happens there. Um, but about about the midway point of the race, Verstappen pulled the absolute undercut of dreams. We heard that we heard after the race, uh, even before the race, that the undercut that the undercut would be absolutely monstrous around Paul Ricard, and it showed because Red Bull delivered it um, for Verstappen, and he came out ahead of ahead of Hamilton and the Mercedes. But do you think maybe if maybe if uh, Hamilton had responded at the same time, maybe if uh, the Mercedes pit wall were were looking at the data and they were able to respond uh, with Verstappen, maybe. Um, the gap would be a bit smaller, or even Hamilton would would stay in the lead of the race. Yeah, I was thinking the same during the race. Had they have responded, I reckon, even if they'd have gone a lot later, I still think Verstappen would have come out in the lead because Red Bull's outlaps after after a pit stop are phenomenal. Um, they've they've all they've been really strong at that this season. So I think even if they'd have gone, the Mercedes had got come in the lap after Red Bull. I still think that Hamilton would have been behind um, because obviously the undercut combined with Red Bull's really good outlaps, so he could have easily got the gap down. Yeah, let's let's speak about um, should we say the outlap? Should we say uh, the pit stops? Because the strategy clearly wasn't meant to be a one stopper, as as Red Bull evidently pulled a two-stopper with Verstappen and then you hear a few laps later Valtteri Bottas with a with a few expletives should we say um because he wasn't happy he said he said to his Mercedes crew that it, it's going to be a two-stop race and Red Bull expertly um extracted a two-stopper with with Verstappen and then obviously uh pitting Sergio a lot later but Harvey do you think uh, Bottas's role in the team is a little bit hindered because it, I think currently it's it's what Hamilton wants and what Hamilton wants uh, is the strategy because Bottas clearly wanted a two stopper and and they, and they didn't let him let him do that. No, I agree. I feel like it's very Vettel at Ferrari at the end of last year. I feel it's very much like that with Bottas at the moment. Um, think Hamilton even suggested the two-stop on Sunday morning. Um, I did hear him mention it to James on the team radio. I did. Was, I, this isn't an exact quote, but it's along the lines of, I did tell you about that this morning. And then obviously you had Bottas with a bit more of a fiery message. Um, why didn't we do the, the two-stop, whatever. Um, I think Bottas is not becoming surplus, but in terms of off track, his input isn't as important as Lewis because it's not Lewis. And I think, I think it's poor from Mercedes. 
Yeah, it is relatively poor because I, I well, after after Spain, you're looking at the strategy of the Paul Bear, and it was it, it was a masterclass of a strategy. But the last couple of races haven't been haven't been going for them. Um, Monaco, Baku, and you've obviously got uh, Paul Ricard as well, the French Grand Prix. But Verstappen was able to hold on to the lead of the race. He finished P1 with Sergio Perez in P3. I mean. As a Red Bull fan, Harvey, surely that's that's fantastic news because it extends the lead in the Constructors' Championship and ultimately it extends the lead for Max Verstappen in the Drivers' Championship. Fantastic. I mean, I think it was it's shown that Red Bull got the driver market over the winter. Bob on, you know, Verstappen. You knew he was going to be the top dog at the team. You knew he was going to be the one predominantly fighting for race wins. And then he just needed that second-hand man that he didn't quite get with Gasly or Albon. And he's got that with Perez because if he's... I don't know if you've seen the onboard footage, but Perez, I think, lets Max past um, to just take the battle to the Mercedes. And then them two just basically just follow each other. Um both of well, both of them get past Bottas, and it was just Max that got past Lewis. Um, but I think another five laps, I reckon Perez would have got past Lewis. Um, but Red Bull have got they've had this bubbling for a while. They've had it simmering, and I think it's really coming into fruition this season. I think they're doing a fantastic job, and deservedly, I think, leading both um, standings. And may that continue. Well, of course, they won their third consecutive race uh, in a row uh, for the first time since 2013. And we know what happened that season. Um, so it might happen this season, but we'll have to wait and see. We've got, we've got quite a long way to go yet in the championship. Um, but looking, looking back at McLaren, uh, they finished P5 and P6. We said their teamwork was extraordinary. It was, it was fantastic. And they and the P5 and the P6 finish uh, for the team puts them ahead of Ferrari in the constructor championship. I mean, it goes a long way to show to show that they are able to take the fight to Ferrari and that they are able to really hold on to that uh, P3 uh, in constructors. Harvey, do we do we think that it, it, this this teamwork could continue? Yeah, I think McLaren, I th- they work really well together as a unit, like I, I said previously. I mean, they're only getting beaten in the construction standings by Red Bull and Mercedes, who are just going toe-to-toe every race. And I don't think McLaren are there just yet, but I think if the, you know, P5 and P6, you can't really complain about that. Sprinkling and out on the podium for Blando, you know, that's a really good season for McLaren. Probably the, one of the best that they've had in recent years. Um, and I think there is definitely more podiums to come for both drivers. Moving on to Aston Martin, we briefly talked about their strategy that they employed with Seb potentially, and they finished P9 and P10. Another another double points finish for for the new team, she was saying in uh, in Formula One uh, on their return. But I think what they are doing currently with their strategy, I think it's a masterclass because. Let's let's not forget Stroll started in P19. Let that sink in again. P19. How are they doing this? I mean, it's it's complete. It's fantastic that they're getting points finishes, uh, and especially a podium with seven back here. But what they are doing is 
for, for the last couple of races, it's just it's just mind blowing because it's it's very good for the team so far. Yeah, I think you have to give credit where credit's due to um, Aston Martin. Their, their strategies have been really good this season, um, and I think it'll only be a matter of time before maybe win the race. If we have one of them topsy turvy races like at Monza last year, or or the first Austrian Grand Prix last year, you know if they can pounce on a safety car and get high up, I mean we saw it in Baku with with Seb. I think a race victory isn't far away. Whatever. I mean, I'm down for a Sebastian Vettel victory. I think everybody listening and everybody and every F1 fan is down for a Sebastian Vettel victory. And um, but moving on to Georgia Russell. I mean, he spoke about that race in France being probably one of his one of the best performances he's had in Bat Williams' car, finishing P12 on merit. And if there were retirements at the front of the field, it could have been it could have been a point, but that wasn't meant to be. But on merit, I think what he's doing with that Williams car finishing P12, it it was fantastic. And after and after a shocker of a start. He recovered fantastically well. Yeah, I mean that's pretty much been the story of George at Williams, especially these past two years. He's just got the very best out of that car. I'm not going to say Williams is lightning quick. I think it does an all right job, but I think yeah, he needs to get in that Mercedes if he's going to have any competitive edge, especially breaking into podium places. Because I think if you just put him into Bottas's car. Um, for Austria, I definitely think he'd get on the podium. And then lastly but not least, we'll, we'll talk about Yuki Sonoda because we started with him, uh, we may as well finish with him. Uh, starting from the pit lane to finish P13, it was a fantastic recovery from him. Let's 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 say that because starting from the pit lane wasn't, wasn't going to be an easy task, but he was able to get past the likes of Giovinazzi, he was able to even... Outpace, outpace Leclerc, who finished 16th. But for a rookie to make up seven positions uh, from the start of the race to finish 13th, I think it's it's a relatively good drive for Yuki uh, at the end of the day. Yeah, I think Yuki had, Yuki had a good drive. Um, he's, Yuki's a bit of a weird one. He either has a good race or a complete write-off. And I think France overall was a good race, considering from where he started. Um, but yeah, Yuki just needs to just keep his head cool in future races, and I think I think that'll be a lot more beneficial if that makes sense. I think he'll really see himself um, slingshot up that field. Yes, most definitely, and I mean, being a rookie isn't isn't an easy task, um, as you've got to get to to know the car relatively quickly. Um, but he's, he's doing that relatively well. Um, but rounding off uh, the French Grand Prix, Verstappen got the victory ahead of Hamilton, Perez, Bottas, Norris, Ricardo, Gasly, Alonso, Vettel and Stroll completing the top 10. Sainz, Russell, Sonoda, Ocon, Giovinazzi, Leclerc, Raikkonen, Latifi, Schumacher and Mazepin rounded off the field. First time, I believe, this season where we've had all 20 drivers finish. Uh, may I just chuck in a little bit of a useless stat as well? Um, Verstappen is the first driver this season to get pole position, the race win, and the fastest lap, and to 
to spice uh, not spice it up. What am I on about here? Yes, not spice it up. Just to sort of um, implement it. Implement. I don't even know what I'm on about anymore. Yeah, you got drive for the day as well. Well done, Max. I don't even know what to say to that. I, I really don't know what to say. I was going to go on to that fact. I was going to go on to the useless fact of a day of on the grid podcast, but you but you stole it off me. So yeah, there we go. Um, uh, that's our useless fact about Max Verstappen. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Uh, but everybody, I think everybody knows that um, from Sky F1 if, if you watched the race, because I think that was mentioned one or two times uh, throughout the Grand Prix. Um, so we're going to move on to the Styrian Grand Prix, our preview for, for Austria, because it is the Styrian round first, and then it is the Austrian Grand Prix uh, a week later. But it, it's at the same track, essentially. It's at the Red Bull Ring in Austria. Hi, what are we expecting? I mean, surely Red Bull are favourites, being that it's their home race. Um, I'm not going to pour. I'm not going to point and put anything down on them. I'm not going to say that they're going to get the victory. But surely they must be the team with the most confidence uh, going into um, their two home races, essentially. Yeah, I mean, last year we'll just take that first race for example. You know, both drivers could have ended up in the top three. You know, Verstappen, if he hadn't have broken down in an Albon, if he didn't get um, taken out by Lewis. I think the Red Bulls run really well around there. My only worry is mechanicals, especially with those curbs last year. You know, they were upsetting the car quite a lot. So, um, yeah, I think we're in for a, a cracking race, as we always are at, at Red Bull Ring. Well, most cars were being kind of upset by by the curbs um, in Austria at the Red Bull Ring, but I mean, without a shadow of a doubt, I think we're in for a cracker. And if it if if it replicates the Austrian or the Styrian round from last last season, where like eight or eight or nine cars retired from the race, wow! I mean, we're in for a cracker if that if that's the case. But we'll move on to our predictions uh, for qualifying. Harvey, I'm going to stick it on you to start off with because our predictions of last week, last weekend, weren't too bad, and I think, I think you should you should give it a go first uh, this time around. Yeah, my predict. I think that's my best weekend with predictions. I got five points. Um, got Lewis and Max Bob on, and then got Norris P5 in the race. Um, for for qualifying, I'm going pretty template. I'm going to be honest. I'm going for Stapp and P1. Um, Lewis P2, uh, I'm going to go Perez P3, uh, Bottas P4, and Norris in P5. Relatively standard, relatively standard. Um, that I have gone for in qualifying, Verstappen to get P1, which I mean, I think, I think if he gets another, if he gets another pole position, I think it could be curtains for Hamilton. Um, I've got Hamilton in P2, Bottas in P3. Perez in P4, and I've gone with Lando as well, uh, Lando Norris in P5. But for the race, I've switched it around a little bit. I was, I was, I was kind of, I was kind of thinking about it just before, just before we started this podcast, and I was looking whether to put, to keep Verstappen uh, in P1. But I've gone with Hamilton for P1 with Verstappen in P2. I've decided to, I think Perez will get another podium. I think he'll finish P3 for Red Bull with Bottas moving down to P4. And I think Norris will, will have another relatively good race uh, finishing in P5. Harvey, what are your thoughts? Surely surely you're thinking Max Verstappen is going to get the win here. 
my predictions are pretty much the same as my qualifying. I'll just run through them again. Um, except, right, I've gone Max Verstappen to win, Lewis Hamilton in P2, Sergio Perez P3, Valtteri Bottas P4, and instead of Lando Norris P5, I'm going to go Sebastian Vettel. Like I say, every single time when somebody chucks a, curvy, a bit of a curveball, I'm all down for that. <laughs> um, but that ultimately rounds off our predictions ahead of the Styrian Grand Prix this weekend. I hope that you guys do, do agree with our predictions. Sometimes they're correct, sometimes they're wrong. Maybe they're correct, they're correct again this time. Yeah, most, mostly wrong, but we'll, we'll, we'll steer away from that, shall we? Um, but yeah, hopefully you guys do agree with our predictions. Uh, make sure to give us your thoughts on what you think of our predictions. Uh, that's all that we have time for in this episode. Thank you, Harvey, for joining me. We'll be back after the Styrian Grand Prix reviewing that race. And we'll be obviously pre- uh, previewing uh, the Austrian Grand Prix, which is happening in, in a week's time, which is the final of a triple header. Uh, thank you, you guys, for listening and goodbye. <laughs>